Hey, it's Steven here to serve up a bonus episode this week of a podcast called Discarded. It's this new series from Lemonada Media that explores how our polluted plastic world came to be. On Discarded, listen to the true story of a modern-day Aaron Brockovich named Sharon Levine, who took on one of the largest plastic manufacturing companies in the world that was trying to pollute her Louisiana neighborhood. In Discarded, they look at how plastic became so ubiquitous in our lives and the price we may pay for that convenience. In the episode you're about to hear, you'll learn about the Goliath in our story, the Sunshine Project, which is this $9.4 billion proposed petrochemical plant that would infiltrate the Louisiana community that has lived and died there for generations. The community includes our story's David, Sharon Levine, a special education teacher of over 30 years, who becomes an accidental activist while trying to save her community and its history. All episodes of Discarded are out now. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the episode. It's connection to God. He heard my cry. Because I was hurting inside because I thought we had to move. I don't want to move. When I sat on that porch and I saw the red cardinals going from the tree, they were so beautiful. And my daughter said, when you see a red cardinal, that means change. And I said, dear Lord, I wonder what the change is going to be. Meet Sharon Levine, a lifelong resident of St. James Parish in Louisiana. About an hour's drive from New Orleans, St. James is nestled into the curves of the Mississippi River. This parish, which is a Christian word most other states in the U.S. call it county, is home to just under 20,000 people. Driving along I-10 between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, you could easily miss St. James. It's camouflaged by marshland. It's green, it's humid, and there's all that water in the Mississippi River bending back and forth as far as the eye can see. It was here, Sharon said God spoke to her. And I asked him if you want me to sell my home. And he said no. And I asked him if he wanted me to sell my land. He said no. And that's when he told me to fight. That was the most powerful day of my life. And ever since then, I've been doing this work. Ever since then, he changed something inside of me. I don't know what it is, but he changed something. It's in my inner being. Sharon comes from generations of people who have lived off this land. She raised all six of her kids here. She taught special ed at the local school for almost 40 years. And today, she is a devoted singer in her church choir. Sharon's connection to this land and this community is strong. My grandparents lived on this land. They did. They raised turkeys. Turks wow. with the big feathers. When I was a little girl, the Turks were so big and beautiful feathers. Turkey for Thanksgiving. My grandfather used to fish in the river right over there across yeah. this levee. My grandfather would fish and shrimp. We picked pecans during pecan season. Over there we had more in the field where my daddy would plant sugar cane. And on the side of the house we had a garden where we got up in the morning at 5 o'clock to go pick the butter beans, the snap beans, the okra. It all sounds so good. But when you get off the interstate and meander through the parishes between these cities, you start to see, hear, and even smell a different story. 
I used to pick the plums all the time. They used to be sweet. They're not sweet anymore. Oh, look at energy. So, so far we've seen Dow, Oxychem, Entergy. This 85 mile stretch between New Orleans and Baton Rouge is known as the Industrial Corridor. There are some 150 plants and refineries up and down this part of the Mississippi that process oil and produce the chemicals that make up plastic. And as you're driving through these rural communities. Okay, is that a normal occurrence that you're just driving along this highway and this huge plume of white smoke? It doesn't look like a fire. It doesn't look, it doesn't look good. I was just about to roll down the window to see what it smelled like, but that's probably not a good idea. Driving along Highway 18 to Sharon's house, you feel dwarfed by these massive pipes that stretch over the roadway like a bridge. They come down on the other side, practically splitting property lines. I have never seen industry so close to people's homes. When we left that night and got back on I-10, those smokestacks, they kept going. The glaring high beams from the plants, we watched them fade into these distant, twinkling lights, mimicking a city skyline. In 2018, Taiwanese-based Formosa Plastics Corporation put in a bid, a big bid, $9.4 billion for 2,400 acres in St. James Parish. What for, might you ask? The Sunshine Project. $9.4 billion to be invested by Formosa Petrochemical Corporation. We don't talk numbers like this very often in Louisiana. And the fact that it's going to happen here along the river in St. James Parish. It will result in unheard of opportunities for our citizens and our businesses. The Sunshine Project sounds innocuous, doesn't it? Well, according to a Guardian article, this Sunshine Project would roughly double toxic emissions in its local area. And according to environmentalists, release up to 13 metric tons of greenhouse gases a year. It would be one of Louisiana's largest plastic factories plopped down essentially in Sharon's backyard. Yeah, sure, it would change the character of the neighborhood, but according to environmental activists, it would do a lot more than that. We are being slowly poisoned to death by the chemical companies that operate up and down the river, you know, and cancer causes. In the late 1980s, this area was dubbed Cancer Alley by local environmental activists. Some began calling it Death Alley. They claim if you live close to a petrochemical facility in this area, you might get cancer at a rate that dwarfs the national average. So why would anyone choose to live here in Cancer Alley? I belong here. I don't belong somewhere else. Why should I give up what my grandparents worked for to let industry come and take it? If I leave, look at all these people I'm going to leave behind. I wouldn't want to leave my neighbors here to die. So if I have to fight for me and my neighbors, I will. This is the story of a woman who was nearly driven out of her home in St. James Parish. A woman who lost so many friends to cancer, she felt she was running out of options. Who was she to go up against some of the biggest plastic manufacturers in the world? What did she have other than her faith and her friends? Well, as it turns out, that's plenty. This is the story of how Sharon Levine took on the Sunshine Project. What do we want? Justice! What do we want? Now! We are going to win. We're not going to lose. 
I'm your host, Gloria Riviera. Welcome to Discarded. I never would have described myself as someone with any connection to an 85-mile strip of land in Louisiana. And I bet the same might be true of you. I mean, I went to New Orleans for Jazz Fest once in 2003. It was awesome. Shout out to the Neville Brothers and the Gospel Tent. But that was it. That being said, a connection would come. It happened on Sunday, April 14th, 2019, to be exact. I was a pretty healthy 45-year-old woman. Someone would soon tell me I had the resting heartbeat of Michael Phelps. You know, I haven't fact-checked that, but it sounds pretty good. Anyway, that Sunday, I went to a hot yoga class. And the last thing I remember thinking is, I need to sit down. I had two back-to-back grand mal seizures because I had a cancerous brain tumor called an oligodendroglioma in my left frontal lobe. I was told one course of care had an average survival rate of 10 years. In 10 years, my youngest child would be going to high school. What a crappy time for a mom to die. So yeah, I know what it's like to have a doctor look at you and deliver the news that you have cancer and it might kill you. In this four-part series, we start with how Cancer Alley came to be and Sharon's mission to take on big plastic. We examine how we fostered an environment in the United States that often puts profits over people. We will zoom out of Louisiana and learn how plastic first entered the home and where things took a turn for the worse. While the petrochemical industry is looking to scale up production, we are highlighting the people who are working to scale it down and keep it that way. Plastic is the nightmare gift that never stops giving. Your garbage is coming here, and our community is having to breathe it in. The politicians are selling us out to industry. The industry is in denial about its responsibility to the environment and to us. Our planet is at its breaking point. We can't put your profit over you destroying the planet. Try to go through your day without plastic. I can't. Plastic is everywhere. To fully understand its impact, we went to Ground Zero in Louisiana, where plastic and so many other large-scale industrial products come into this world. Do you remember what it was like before the first plant? Oh, the plant? first plant? Oh, I heard mom and them talking, they were saying it's a nice thing and they were glad. So I was glad because they were glad. Right. Sharon was a teenager when she learned the first plant was coming to her community. She says her mom and friends thought that new industry meant prosperity for the town. It was told it was safe and it was told it's going to bring jobs. Right. We met Sharon at her choir rehearsal. They practice every Thursday here at St. James Catholic Church. While everyone, including me, is tired from the workday, it does feel like a peaceful release just to find my place on a wooden pew and let that music fill the room with serenity. Oh, 
When practice is over, people slowly filter out down the aisle, and I ask, can we speak to you? It doesn't take long for the subject of cancer to come up. Do you think, do you believe your cancer was connected to living in Cancer Alley? I can't say no, it wasn't. Uh, I'm, because I'm not 100% sure that yeah. it wasn't because where we live. This yeah. is Mika. She's a cancer survivor, and she's the assistant principal at the school where Sharon works. Mika is warm. She's got this big smile on her face, and she's very happy to talk to us. I love my parish. I love my community. I'm assistant principal at the school where I graduated from. I love my kids here. I love yeah. the people here. We heard about that kind of love for community from almost everyone we spoke to. I'm choosing not to leave because I just feel St. James is where I belong. This is where my great-grandparents lived. My entire family, both sides, were from St. James. This is me, so why should I be forced to move? Deep family ties and service to the community are just some of the reasons people stay here. But not everyone feels like Mika. The reality is, it's just not that easy to pick up and go. Here's Lisa. She's more reserved. And I could hear the burden she lives with in her voice. I would love to leave. I, I like the place where I grew up. I, I love to stay here, but I would love to get away from the pollution as well if that was possible for me to do so. It's not possible. I know. And it's, you know, more people here are older people, and it's hard to start over at this age. Yeah. And sometimes I hear a lot of people talk about being depressed because yeah. when you think about the conditions here, it is depressing. It's, it's like we have been cheated out of something. Cheated out of what? A good life, a better life, and all the other opportunities that other people have. The plants are here, but they benefit other people. They come and get the jobs here, and we have to breathe the air. That's just so sad and heartbreaking. They have to breathe the air. As real as Cancer Alley is to so many St. James locals, a lot of people disagree. Calling it Cancer Alley, Death Alley, Industrial Corridor, or even Chemical Corridor, whatever you call it can be a political statement. Well, back in the 1980s, a part of South Louisiana gained a nickname that was as frightening as it was controversial. How can it be no, Cancer I mean, Alley if the cancer you know, rates yeah. are not higher than the statewide average in that area? Yeah. You can walk up any street and knock on any door, and you can ask the question, has anybody here in this house had cancer? And the answer is going to be yes. We have annual health checks and all kinds of facilities to make sure that we're okay. So I'm not sure where the term cancer alley came from. And, uh, it's know, controversial. Research is lacking, despite residents of the area maintaining that they're disproportionately impacted by cancer and other health problems due to these plants. Scientists have recently tried to investigate that correlation. If you look at any map from the EPA of levels of cancer-causing pollution, the entire area between New Orleans and Baton Rouge will light up. This is Dr. Kimberly Terrell. She's a staff scientist and director of community engagement at Tulane's Environmental Law Clinic in New Orleans. It continually blows my mind that all of the pollutants we're talking about are chemicals that are known to cause health problems. Cancer Alley residents aren't just worried about cancer. 
The area has seen increases in asthma, upper respiratory illnesses, and heart disease. The state doesn't regulate the release of steam into the air. It regulates pollutants that have established health effects. So why is it that each community has to prove that they are susceptible to health problems from exposure to pollutants that are known to cause health problems? But it's not that simple. Quite frankly, more research needs to be done into whether environmental risks equate to actual cases of all kinds of cancer. For Kim, a scientist who led a study that found a link between pollution and cancer in Louisiana, well, she's pretty firm on her view. To me, Cancer Alley is a place in southeast Louisiana where communities of color are disproportionately burdened with air pollution and with cancer. Kim's convinced. And I just want to wind back a little to grasp this slow but massive heavy industry takeover along the Mississippi. I talked to a local journalist, Mark Schlefstein, an environmental reporter at the Times-Picayune, the New Orleans advocate, who's been working this beat since the 80s. Hi. Hi, Mark. How are you? Pretty good. Come on in. We met Mark at his house in New Orleans. This is actually his most recent home. His last one flooded with nearly 15 feet of water during Hurricane Katrina. He works out of his home office. Reporting awards are displayed on the walls. And there's also a white hard hat he takes on all his site visits. Chemical plants were built on the Mississippi River because there's free water from the Mississippi and there's free transportation. But you also have easy access to salt domes throughout the region that can be mined to make chlorine, which is the key ingredient for most petrochemicals. Ah, petrochemicals. You are going to hear this word a lot. It simply means chemicals that are made from oil and gas. They make anything from the building blocks of plastics to the chemicals that go into fertilizers. Early on in Mark's career, he pulled up to the gates of a petrochemical plant and asked to see the facility. After some pushback, he got inside with a PR representative leading the tour. He says he saw huge trucks dumping liquid waste into pits. Inside the pits were aerators, which essentially caused the waste to evaporate. We were walking around in street clothes, and the guys who were at the trucks were in white suits with helmets and masks. And we were not feeling well, to say the least. <laughs> By the time we got back, the environmental guy who was with me was throwing up at the front gate. So, like I said, hazardous chemicals. And this was just one story Mark told our team from those early days of his investigative reporting. One of the chemical plants that I looked at, they let us in and took us around and showed us all this stuff, and it was very well cleaned up and everything. And then as we're walking along, we smelled something that smelled like maple syrup. Yeah, so not rotten eggs, maple syrup. The smell of chemicals comes in many flavors. I asked the plant manager and he said, oh, well, that's the pancake place in the community next door. As I'm walking back, this other worker who's like following behind us leans over my shoulder and says, you know, that's not pancake syrup. And I said, yeah, I know, it's ethylene dichloride. Well, ethylene dichloride is a very toxic material that's used in making plastics. It does smell like pancake syrup. 
So the pancake place excuse was probably fake, but the community next door, now that's very real. And it just so happens to be a predominantly black community that Mark told us had issued a number of complaints about the pollution, not a pancake factory. At this point, it's 1988. Louisiana ranks number two in toxic emissions behind Texas. And the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, has officially begun to require industry to track their pollution numbers. The result of that was two-thirds of the emissions in Louisiana disappeared over the next 15 years. Wow. Okay. Two-thirds? I mean, we're getting somewhere. But wait. Mark said it was 15 years. That would place us around the early aughts. The last time I checked, we have moved on from the early aughts, and we still have a big problem today. In the last five or ten years, the industry, both because there are more of them, but also because the companies themselves have expanded their size and have increased the amount of product that they're producing, we're seeing an increase in the total amount of emissions in the state. So what happened? And where's the oversight? Mark explained what was happening in the 70s that planted the seeds of how we got here. At that time, Governor Edwards was in charge of what was happening. Both the federal and state regulation of environmental issues was really fairly new. The industry was very interested in how to develop ways of disposing of hazardous waste and making money off of this large amount of chemical plants that were in the state. Edwin W. Edwards, a Democrat. He served four times, in fact, the only four-term governor in Louisiana history. And he was, how can I put this? He was quite the character. Can you help me? What are we doing? In 1972, Edwin Edwards, he was governor of Louisiana at the age of 44. Well, I wanted to be a country and western singer, but only my mother thought I could sing. Edwards admitted his wife, Elaine, took $20,000 from lobbyists for the Korean rice industry when he was in Congress. We will not know which of us is to blame until the trial has been concluded. So back in the early 1970s, these new regulations meant companies producing hazardous waste had to meet new disposal standards. Parameters! Sounds pretty good to me. But the catch is that Edwards, well, he allowed these companies to dump all of their toxic waste in Louisiana. And I will give you one guess as to, hmm, I don't know, who owned the dumps. There's a term for it in Louisiana, friends of Edwards. But those slick deals, well, they finally caught up with old Edwin Edwards over a riverboat casino scandal that landed him in prison. Also, just a point of clarification here, Edwin Edwards is not related to Louisiana's current governor, John Bell Edwards. Regardless, in addition to political corruption, the Department of Environmental Quality, the DEQ, well, Mark said they seem to be doing the bare minimum. We reached out to the Louisiana DEQ for an interview. They declined, but did answer a few questions, including stating, quote, permits are issued in a fair and impartial process that is prescribed by state and federal law. If you talk to the Louisiana Department of Environmental Quality, what they will say is that they are following the federal laws that they're required to enforce and the state laws that determine how they are to regulate the industry. The result of that is that it's rare that companies do not get the permits that they need. 
In fact, Mark contributed to a big investigative series for ProPublica a few years ago. The title of the first piece was, I've investigated industrial pollution for 35 years. We're going backwards. I think the fact that we are allowing increases in emissions and we have seen dramatic improvements in ways to reduce emissions. For some reason, that dramatic improvement is not occurring here. That here is Louisiana. That here is Cancer Alley. That here is St. James Parish, where we come back to after the break. I want to see St. James restored to the time when I used to visit St. James as a college student back in the early 80s. And St. James had a high school, football games was keen, and uh, now all of that's moving away, dying out. Before you know it, it'll be a ghost town. Meet Michael McClanahan, Louisiana NAACP State Conference President. Michael is the kind of guy who brightens any room he enters. Michael is just always on the go, driving from his home in Baton Rouge to various activist campaigns and events across Louisiana. He remembers St. James the way it was when he visited the area as a college student back in the mid-'80s. We would go there maybe a Friday night. You know, there was always a club open. At the time, I might have been drinking a little bit and eating and having a good time. And Friday night football was on, you know, it was good. (laughs) Okay, so Michael's a good storyteller, and his eyes just widened with excitement as he took us back to the heyday of St. James. After the game, St. James probably won, probably playing a rival. We would go out and we would dance and drink, and their parents would be cooking for me and all that. We'd be, oh man, it was a good, good time. I love those stories, but I have to be honest, it is really hard to imagine that this community where you can almost hear a pin drop, was once so vibrant. It's as if these companies have slowly taken over the whole town, suffocating it. You hear about the health issues that come along with living close to Exxon. And I'm like, well, just tell them to move. Michael explained that it's just not that easy. After years, generations of families working for these plants, it's really asking someone to sacrifice their entire livelihood. So now it's embedded in the community because they get a paycheck from it. And so they don't want to talk about it. The phrase I always use is company town. That's Mark, our environmental journalist, again. There's a lot of company townish culture going on in a lot of these locations. Industry can do no wrong. You know, Louisiana's Department of Economic Development makes a big deal out of announcing that new projects are occurring. And in part, it's because of the money that's pouring in in various different ways. This concept of a company town doesn't just happen in St. James. When I think of St. John the Baptist Parish, I think of Marathon as just underwriting everything because you would think that Marathon was part of like our official government. It just, it, it blends in with the scenery. That's Joe Banner, the co-founder and co-director of The Descendants Project. She lives in Wallace. It's just down the road from St. James, and she's a fellow campaigner alongside Sharon. When Joe says Marathon, she's talking about Marathon Petroleum, one of the largest oil refineries in the country. 
Their Garyville refinery in St. John Parish, right next to St. James, refines over 580,000 barrels of crude oil per, wait for it, day per day. That oil can be turned into all kinds of things. The gas that goes in your car, the asphalt you drive on, even the plastic your car is made of. And it's this connection that is unnatural, but so natural at the same time for this area that you don't even see it. Like you don't even realize when I go to a, a public meeting and here's Marathon giving backpacks, they're so ingrained in everything. Yeah, backpacks. In fact, we found this wrap from a 1989 Dow Chemical educational video called Chemistry, Journey to Your Future. Gotta love the 80s. So the rap states at the beginning that the video is designed to give you a look inside the chemical industry and how that relates to what you are learning in the classroom and the opportunities available should you decide to pursue a career in the sciences. And yes, they do provide jobs, but not everybody works at Marathon and a lot of the people who work there aren't even from St. John Parish. When it comes to Sharon's fight, her own brother, Milton Cayette, worked at a plant for almost 30 years. When we went to visit him just a mile down the road from Sharon, he opened his front door in his wheelchair. Hi. I'm Milton A. Cayette, Jr. Yeah. I live in St. James Parish, 5th District, and uh, I've been here in this house since 1984. You can hear there, he's got this very gentle way about him. He's warm, he's older, He's also kind of funny. Listen closely, because he can be hard to understand. In 79, I was hired by Shell. Furniture has been pushed aside to make room for Milton to maneuver. You have a lot of nice pictures in here. Mm-hmm. And how many children do you have? Two, a girl and a boy. Oh, right. And this is their graduation from? St. John Catholic High School. Oh, wow. This is my niece down there. She played for two late. Oh, basketball. volleyball? Basketball. Oh, basketball. Mm-hmm. Who is this? That's my son. He looks a lot more serious in his football uniform. Yeah, he does, yeah. When you started thinking about, is this a safe place because of the pollutants? Oh, well, I thought about it back in the 80s. Back in the 80s. When they told me, you know, they call this area here Cancer Alley. Yeah, is that the first time you heard the phrase yeah, Cancer Alley? the first time in the early 80s because of the chemical. When they told me that, I didn't think about it then because it was a good-paying job. And the main thing I was concerned at that time was that I had a job. Yeah. I could support my family. Yeah, I hear you. Milton was so proud to put food on his table for his family, to get consistent raises. But he lost his wife in 2001 after her second battle with breast cancer. Today, prostate cancer is just one of his many health issues. After loyal, if anxious, service to a plant for decades, Signs in support of his sister's fight now array his yard. Formosa, you're not welcome here. And we live on death row. No Formosa. Before Sharon took on Formosa, she definitely had doubts. We were wondering, where we gonna go? And that's when he said he going to convent. I said, that's not far enough. <laughs> and then one day, Sharon got a call from her daughter while she was teaching in her classroom. Shamel, Shamel called me and told me, the governor just approved for most of to come in. 
We made multiple attempts to contact the governor's office to hear his side, but our calls and emails went unanswered. I was in my classroom, and she said, watch it on TV. We trying to watch. I told my students, come put the TV on for me, and I saw for myself. They were in there celebrating with the people from Taiwan, and the governor was there too. They were all happy and rejoicing that a new plant was coming to St. James. This is the moment Sharon sat on her porch, saw those red cardinals, and knew Formosa had no home in St. James Parish. If we don't win this fight, we're going to die. We'll be right back. With a new mission in life, Sharon started learning as much as she could about what she was facing. She read parish council papers. She went online, looking at petrochemical websites. She spoke to her neighbors. She even joined a local organization called HELP that worked as a voice for the community. We asked them to let's do a march. So we did a march on September the 8th, 2018 with the HELP Association. We had our signs and uh, Shamel and I spoke for the first time in public. And the people got, got on their knees taking pictures of us. I said, what are they doing all that for? I had no idea this was gonna go further. In that moment, Sharon saw the power her community had and she wanted to push the limits. We asked them, let's stop Formosa. They said that they are not that kind of an organization. And then they said, it's nothing you could do about it. The governor approved it. It's a done deal. You can't stop it. And I said, they're going to sit up here and don't even try to fight. This was a common story here. A company comes into the neighborhood and sets right up, often without a fight. And we were mad. Me and Geraldine, Beverly, all of us were angry. We would get in the car from the help meeting to go home. Geraldine be fussing. Levine, you can start an organization. I said, not me. I'm not I'm a public speaker. Not me, Geraldine. But that conversation stuck in Sharon's head. The very next day, she started organizing meetings in her den. Just a few people and a pot of gumbo she had cooked up. From those meetings, she formed her own organization, Rise St. James. I should also say we did reach out to St. James Parish Council asking to find out their role within this process and to get their take. But despite multiple attempts, the council did not respond to our request for an interview. All this time, she still had her day job working as a special education teacher. It became too much, and Sharon had to make a very difficult choice. I didn't want to quit, but I had to quit because I was getting tired doing all this work by myself. After nearly 40 years of teaching, Sharon handed in her notice. From that point on, Rise St. James had her full attention. But this fight, it is so much bigger than Sharon, than St. James, than New Orleans. It planted its roots in this state a long time ago. 
In order to determine when Cancer Alley became Cancer Alley, we kind of have to go all the way back to the original French explorers who came up the Mississippi River and claimed this area for France. So we have to go back to the roots of colonialism. And we really have to go back to the origins of the plantation economy. Jane Patton is the campaign manager for plastics and petrochemicals at the Center for International Environmental Law. I am a lifelong Louisiana resident. I grew up here, one of five kids just up the road in Baton Rouge, and my family goes back five generations in New Orleans. She's worked on plastics and petrochemical issues for over a decade. Her goal, reduce harm, prevent waste. And it will become very apparent that Jane is not willing to back down. When she speaks, you listen. Louisiana is still predicated on a plantation economy, on an economy of mass extraction from the environment, from local workers and labor. This is something that is not just our economy, but our entire political system for generations has gone into reinforcing this power structure. Jane reminds me of just how deep the political and racial roots of Louisiana are. You know, what we're seeing is that today's chemical corridor is yesterday's plantation alley. And we are seeing that the political systems that allowed horrendous exploitation and suffering are still the political systems of today. The same places suffering most today are the very places that endured slavery before the Civil War. The industrial system and the white supremacist, frankly, political system continued to encroach around them and continued to exploit and harm them in ways that are today protected by law. Okay, let's get into those laws. In Louisiana, we actually have some additional uh, quote-unquote protections, I'm making air quotes but you can't see them, around wetlands protection because there is so much land loss happening in Louisiana and because the Mississippi River is such an important trade mechanism for the country. Aha. Okay, so you remember what Mark said. Industry needs water. If you are coming from a precautionary principle that the people have a protected right to air and water, which by the way, we do have an internationally protected right to clean air and clean water. If you are starting from that place, you don't assume there's gonna be harm. You assume that it is your job to stop harm from happening. Petrochemical companies get permits from state and federal authorities to pollute at sanctioned levels. But Jane says companies push the limits. My team looked into reports on the EPA website and found multiple petrochemical facilities around St. James do have a history of violations. We see that there are companies that are allowed to be in violation of their permits um, in terms of toxic emissions for years on end in some cases with no effort to actually shut them down. They pay a nominal fine, the fine's paid, they keep doing what they're going to do, right? We see that happening all over Louisiana. Some of these plants have been in consistent violation of their Clean Air Act permits for more than a decade, and they are still in operation every day. Yep, this seems like a mess. The other key thing that we see happening is that the EPA is actually not keeping consistent records of the cumulative impact from all of these plants. These are the levels of all the toxics that I would be breathing in, that I would be affected by. We actually don't have that data readily available. In Jane's view, the EPA is just flat out not doing enough. 
We brought this to the EPA and they shared a lengthy statement. The EPA did tell us that in 2018, they released the Air Toxics Screening Assessment, which tracks air toxins and emissions that may pose health risks. The state of Louisiana has around 42 air monitors for the entire state. Okay, just a quick Air Monitor 101. The Louisiana DEQ is responsible for setting up these instruments, which essentially detect pollutants in the air for a designated spot. For example, St. James has one air monitor for the whole parish. And when we try to push for more air monitoring, the state of Louisiana says we can't afford that. And so they can afford for millions of people to be getting sick, but they can't afford air monitors. But wait, let's rewind just a little. This doesn't make sense. If Louisiana has so much big industry that's bringing in jobs and economic wealth to the state, where's the money? In the early 80s, when oil and gas was sort of at its peak, more than 40% of Louisiana's state revenue came from oil and gas. Today, oil and gas pays less than 5% of Louisiana's state revenue. We've also lost a considerable number of jobs in the oil and gas sector in Louisiana. So a company like Formosa says, hey, it's all good. We're going to bring a lot of jobs to the area. But in reality, it's more complex. What we're not hearing is that a lot of the jobs created by these facilities are temporary construction jobs. They are not long-term, sustained, full-time, pensioned, protected jobs. That is not what they are. A representative of Formosa's Sunshine Project declined our request for an interview. They did send us an email. They did write, they quote unquote, expect 1,200 permanent jobs over the next eight years, are committed to hiring locally, and yes, there will be thousands of construction jobs too. State and local politicians uh, play a really key role in a lot of things around the fossil fuel infrastructure. For instance, they continue to be the primary bodies that give these companies what we call the social license to continue to build. A lucrative tax break benefiting these companies incentivized them to come and build in this part of the state. So up until 2016, Louisiana had one of the most permissive and generous industrial tax exemption programs in the country. It was called ITEP, literally the Industrial Tax Exemption Program, ITEP. What this program essentially was, was that it allowed industry to be exempt from paying local property taxes if they made capital improvements. So basically, if a company said, we've built this infrastructure or we've made this capital improvement to our existing facility, we'd like a tax exemption, please. Not have to pay property taxes. Thank you. And on top of that, if approved for ITEP, these companies didn't have to pay property taxes for 10 years. That's money for communities to thrive. I'm talking schools, emergency response, and health services. Remember Marathon Petroleum located in St. John where Joe Banner lives? Under the ITEP program, Marathon was by far the largest benefactor from the program. At one point, they were receiving $1.5 million in tax exemptions per job that Marathon created. $1.5 million per job. Tax incentives are set up to attract businesses into the area with the assumption they will bring jobs and economic stimulus. And oftentimes, this can be great. These numbers Jane is referring to were true up until 2016. That year, the newly elected Democratic governor gave local authorities the right to approve or reject these exemptions instead of the state board. 
When Marathon was actually forced by the parish council in St. John to put all of their the property they own in St. John, and they are one of the largest landowners in St. John, when they were required by the parish council to put that property on the tax rolls, the parish's budget almost doubled from one year to the next. That is the amount of money that was being taken by one of the world's largest oil and gas companies from the people of St. John to give to their shareholders. It was not a drop in the bucket for the people of St. John. That money was the world, is the world to them. And it was nothing to Marathon's shareholders. But it might not stay this way. Now, the governor's term is up next year, and he can't be reelected. He's term limited. And we are almost certainly going to elect a Republican governor in 2023 because the state of Louisiana is heavily gerrymandered. And so what we are facing right now is that unless this change is protected under state law, the people of St. John might lose half of their budget. So after all this doom and gloom, I asked Jane the same thing I've asked everyone else. Why stay here? I am fighting for all of us being able to hold the things sacred that we hold sacred, which include our ancestors, which include this land, which include the clean air and the clean water. And that is something that we have to have optimism toward because what else do we have? We believe this place is magical and it's special and it should be enjoyed by people who've been here for five generations and people who've been here for five minutes. And it should not be further pillaged and ravaged by these companies and by this broken, extractive, harmful political system. It just shouldn't. We wanted to give you just a glimpse into the power struggles in Louisiana, just an idea of what Sharon was really up against. She compared herself to David fighting Goliath. But the more she gave, buoyed by knowledge and the strength of her community, the stronger she got. You could argue by now, she's the Goliath. I didn't think we would rule on all counts. And that's the part that got to me. Everything? Yeah, unbelievable. You're going to want to hear all about how the fight went down. Discarded is a Lemonada Media original presented by Only One. I'm your host, Gloria Riviera. Our producers are Ali Kiltz, Alexa Lim, and me. Tess Novotny is our associate producer. Crystal Genesis is our supervising producer. Jackie Danziger is our vice president of narrative content. Mix and sound design by Natasha Jacobs with additional mixing by Ivan Kurayev. Music is by Hannes Brown. Naomi Barr is our fact checker. Executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. To learn more and take action, go to only.one slash discarded. Follow me on Twitter at GRiviera. Stay up to date with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at at Lemonada Media. There's more Discarded with Lemonada Premium. Subscribers get exclusive access to bonus content like my conversation with Jane Patton over delicious Café du Monde beignets in New Orleans. Subscribe now in Apple Podcasts. Join my Lemonada today for free and chat with your favorite hosts, other listeners, and our staff. You'll also get exclusive audio and video content and invites to live and virtual events before anyone else. Go to bit.ly slash mylemonada to join a community who wants to make life suck less together. 
Go to LemonadaMedia.com for a list of current sponsors and discount codes for this and all other Lemonada series. To follow along with a transcript, go to LemonadaMedia.com slash show slash discarded shortly after the air date. Follow Discarded wherever you get your podcasts or listen ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership.